there's eventually going to be an, an implosion or a big meltdown. Yeah, that's that, interesting. That is really interesting. <laughs> Speakers and Screens podcast, uh, sort of mini podcast thing. And the first time we are talking exclusively about movies. There's been a couple of podcasts just exclusively about about video games. There's been one, one or two possibly about music. But now we're talking exclusively exclusively about movies. Uh, I'm your host Robbie Beck, and I'm joined by um, the one, the only. The abandoned theater contributor of the blog, TJ Duane. Hello. Did I pronounce your last name right? Yes. Um, I get Duane. I get Duan. Duan. Yeah. And I get uh, once I was called by some a telemarketer and they thought my name is Duas. So <laughs> Duane is the preferred pronunciation. <laughs> Not Duas. I'm. I've. I've never encountered anyone that that pronounced back wrong, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little spoiled in that regard. And, uh, Mr. Beat. And, uh, well, well, I have a problem with people calling me Bobby, but that's another issue. Oh, yeah. Um, and today, we, uh, we are planning on talking about our, our top five, or top whatever, movies of 2013 so far, or at least just a lot of movies that we like this year so far. We'll, we'll try to keep it to a minimum, but we'll probably fuck it up. Just keep it in real. And also, we'll talk about blockbusters this year and how they've matched up to our expectations. So, um, do, do you want to do, do you want to do a top five or just go completely random? Because I know I just told you that out of my top five movies, you've seen all of my top five, and there's there's some in the rest of the list I have that I, I'd rather talk about than my top five, so I guess we'll... How about, how about we talk about your top five, and then I'll fill in with movies that we didn't talk about. Well, um, I'll just start with my... Can I start with my favorite? Absolutely. Okay, okay. This, um, this is obvious to you, but um, quite easily my favorite movie released this year so far, and I highly doubt that it's gonna... That anything is gonna top it, to be quite frankly, for me at least is um, the new movie from Shane Carruth, uh, Upstream Color. If you haven't heard of this movie, I'll try to explain uh, what... <laughs> I'll try to explain it to you. It's it, it's sort of... It, it, it is very abstract, and it, it is very complicated, but it's basically about 
um, the lives of two people and how they are just wrecked and just dismantled to the core by uh, by something. You'll you'll some you'll try to figure it out when you see it, but it's I've heard I've heard the director talk about how it's it, it's it's a med it's kind of a meditation on how we we base our identity and our existence upon all of these outer layers of possessions and um, status and numerous other factors and what happens when all of that is torn away and what is basically what, what, what does a person amount to? And I mean, that message, uh, I mean, that concept in and of itself thrills me and this film is just so impeccably directed i i i and it, and it just it looks amazing and the score my god the score mm -hmm. which was composed by shane Carruth himself and oh my oh my fuck the sound design of this movie i mean i i've ne i've never thought about the sound design of a movie like this much until i've seen upstream color um and it's 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 difficult to describe in an auditory format because it is so much of a visual experience. And even if you don't understand it on the first go around, I still I, I, I still I can't recommend it more than any other movie I've seen in the last few years. Even I was to say I was blown away is is a total understatement. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic movie. It's most definitely in my top five. Um, I have it my number four spot um, of the year, and it could probably go up, actually. But I totally agree about the sound design score, both done by uh, Shane Carruth. It kind of reminds me, in a way, of the way that um, that David Lynch did Eraserhead, how the sound design oh, yeah. really dominates that movie. And that's, I mean, uh, with Upstream Colors, another movie that, the sound design may be one of, if not the most important thing in the movie. Where in Eraserhead, that sound design is there to creep you out, is there to make you feel disturbed. It's it works much differently in Upstream Color. So I mean, the comparison's not one 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 for one, but it's it goes to show how important that aspect of filmmaking is. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the Oscars, the the sound editing and sound um, effects always go towards action movies but really it's the movies like this that push forward um the medium of sound design i think it's just so much more interesting <laughs> yeah he yeah exactly I, I i don't really give a shit about how well a transformer can bring the bring the twin towers down yeah um that that could be made into a terrible 9-11 joke i just realized that's okay <laughs> but um I, I, sh I should have mentioned this before. This is the same guy, if you don't know who I'm talking about, that directed Primer, mm -hmm. which was released in 2004, I believe. It, it, it's been it's been many years since he's directed a movie, and there was a there was one of the works which I actually have the script for on my computer. I've read some of it, but it was, it's clearly one of those unfilmable films that we'll probably never see the light of day. But I'm glad that this did, and. You know, like Primer, this is really puzzling, but this is really puzzling in a very different way. And I actually much prefer this to Primer. I mean, 
I appreciate Primer as a puzzle, but it doesn't move me or engage me as much as it probably does a lot of other people. I mean, Primer's good. It's a good movie, and I totally yeah. agree that, that it do, it is a great puzzle. That movie's based entirely on its technical dialogue. This movie is based on the lack of dialogue. Oh, it yeah. It's much more, as a more of a Terrence Malick kind of, like, ethereal feel. I mean... I know you're not the biggest fan of, like, Tree of Life. Oh, no, no, this, to- this totally reminded me of Tree of Life. Yeah, where, where Tree of Life probably bothered you with its editing style, this movie still manages to be have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and actually be quite circular um, when you get to the end of the movie, when it, the supposed twist happens, and you kind of feel like you at least understand it a little bit, even though after the first viewing, kind of you kind of sit there thinking, what was that movie about? There were pigs... And orchids <laughs> and worms and a river and blue dye and people acting like zombies essentially. But I mean, it totally adds up. I mean, this is one of the movies that actually it helps you to read up on it. Though I wonder if the movie would be even stronger if because uh, uh, the director likes to explain his movie a bit because it is a difficult movie. While you yeah. have other people like David Lynch who refuses. To, to tell you anything about what what he's accomplishing, <laughs> do you think that Shane Carruth's way of telling you what it means in interviews? Do you think that's a good idea? Um, I like that he does it because I got a lot of insight about the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't, and I I don't think that anything he's saying is a spoiling anything and b detracts from detracts at all from the experience. Because yeah. I, I, I watched a couple interviews about it before I saw the movie. And, um, and like, it, it might have helped a tiny bit with comprehending it, but not really. Not a whole mm-hmm. lot. And it definitely didn't hinder anything about the experience. Totally. It's, it's, it's an, an interesting debate because it really bothers some people because they don't want spoilers, but I think this is one of those movies you can't really spoil. I could probably no, you, tell you. No, you can't spoil. You have to experience it. You have to experience the, um, you have to, the cinematography, the, the acting, the sound design, as we said earlier, you have to feel the experience. You can't, there's not really, um, a need to understand everything, but you sort of get the feeling of what it's going for, especially when they start um, putting in the Walden um, references and the well, yeah. it actually becomes part of the plot by the end of the yeah. by the end of the uh, which movie, which I fully admit, and I don't think that I lose credibility about admitting this, but I fully admit that I don't understand a lot about the the Walden references in the movie. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, to someone who hasn't seen the movie, they're probably like, "Oh, well, he doesn't know anything about it." Tr- trust me, you're not going to know a whole a, a lot about it even on a second viewing. Oh yeah, I mean it's the only movie of this year I own on a physical copy of. I have the, I have the Blu-ray on my bookshelf. Yeah, but, because because um, it was really hard to see in theaters. Yes, it, um, a lot of the movies I saw this year are, have been on video on demand, or um, or that movie which came out two weeks after it was in theaters because he released it himself, yeah. which is a great move I think on his part. I think he's going to make a lot of money out of it, which not the most important thing, but more money he makes, the more movies he makes. Um, yeah. He's apparently he's apparently shooting his next one right now, so hopefully oh, that'll be out by next year or in a couple years, hopefully. Yes. The um, uh, probably the last thing we can mention is that, I mean, 
reading Walden does help understand the um, the movie a bit, especially when you get to the parts of Walden, talk, which go with you what you're what you said at the beginning of your description of the movie, where if you let go of all these things around you, um, by the end they're more free. When you get rid of all the societal like burdens and all of the, your technology and all your life as you know it, because in Walden, I mean, it's about him going out into nature and working for what he has. Even though you know, when you get to the backstory, you find out he's like two two miles away from his mom's house or something. But I mean, it's still freeing to kind of live in your own headspace for a while. And I think that those themes actually tie up very well in the movie. I mean, I think it's a fantastic movie. I couldn't recommend it more. Well, the Ah, ne- never mind. I was gonna, I was gonna go into more of that, but well, it's it seems like the the whole theme of uh, shedding away all of these l- these layers of of what outside forces make your make up your identity that almost seems like a frightening thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I, I remember specifically in an interview he was talking about how what if I peel back so many layers that suddenly I a, a person is nothing. And he said that that really frightened him. That really made him want to want to explore that. And I think that definitely is explored quite a bit in the movie. Um, you know, the positive and negative aspects of having just your your identity stripped from you. I, I chuckled um, quite a bit in an interview when he said he hated Walden in college. <laughs> I think I saw that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about another movie. Um, one that I know that we both very much liked was um, uh, Spring Breakers. Yes, the, the new Harmony Korine film, and 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 I think it's probably his best movie. I, I I know that most most people who are fans of his will still go with Gummo, or or mm-hmm. maybe or maybe Kids if you consider consider that a Harmony Korine movie. But I I really think that as as far as what what the dude was trying to go for, uh, as as far as what what he was trying to go for for uh, a complete just assaulting experience and kind of yeah. a whole kind of a kind of a psychedelic experience as well i think that this is his most successful and actually i think it has some of his most interesting social commentary as well again another very malick movie um it, oh really it's kind of weird his, his his influence on this year's movies are kind of insane and then he kind of released one of his weaker movies this year i still like it uh, to the wonder but um i'm putting it's just interesting on- I'm, I was gonna say I'm planning on seeing that when I get some DVD. It's it's even more Tree of Life than Tree of Life. Um, I mean, I want I'm one of those apologists. I think the Tree of Life is, I mean, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I put it in my personal top ten. I know Ebert did um, for his last Sight and Sound poll uh, before he died, but I understand that that movie is hard to like. Um, but I most definitely love its influence, especially on these first two movies we've mentioned, Upstream Color. And Spring Breakers. Um, Where do you see a Malick influence on Spring Breakers, though? Um, it's Spring Breakers is more of a poem. It's more of a montage. I, I took um, my my wife, my sister, and her boyfriend, and they at fir- uh, a lot of the people we saw it with at first were just like, "Whoa, that did not make any sense. That did not feel like a movie. It didn't feel like a movie at all because." It's it's there is a plot, but the plot is loose. It's more poetic, yeah, and and more um, a, an assault on the senses, as you said, and more scenes um, tied together by these a very Malick style edit um, editing style where you go from one thing to another with these strange transitions. I mean, sometimes the transitions are just 
tits and dubstep, but those are transitions <laughs> that are nonetheless. Speaking of which, I will never look at um, Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites the same way after watching this movie. I, see, I, I have this aversion against dubstep, but I absolutely loved it in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Even just, even just, even just the opening scene, it works so fucking well. I know it's like Skrillex, we cool for this hour and a half that we're spending together. Um, I, I'm gonna strip my credibility away. This is the only Harmony Korine movie I've ever seen. Um, I oh mean, really? Most, most time when I watch movies, I'm, I I tend to focus on older movies for some reason. I've I've kind of missed out on some of the more modern art house um, auteurs like uh, Harmony Korine. See, I'm, I have, I'm the opposite, and that's probably a little more embarrassing that I haven't seen a lot of these older movies that I have to see, you know. I mean, it's good to have a balance, I think. I mean, you know, Casablanca's great, you know. You watch your Bergman, your Kurosawa, but, I mean, it's good to be up on the modern uh, art house filmmakers, which I think is what hurt Spring Breakers, because it had a terrible cinema score, if I, th- if I remember correctly, because it was... It was advertised as this sort of um, Project X on a beach. And I love that about it. I love that he was (laughs) just fucking with everyone. That is so Harmony Korine. And and he, like, okay, the the thing with Harmony Korine and a lot of his other movies is that he works with with a lot of non-actors and he works with a lot of real locations and a lot of, it's it's almost like guerrilla filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And it seems like he... You know, not only did he really just get a lot of real people that were actually on Spring Break, spring break but the fact that he got just, uh, uh, how do I say it, like modern pop culture stars to yeah. be in what is more of a Harmony Korean movie than anything. I mean, it's not a Selena Gomez movie. It's not uh, a Vanessa Hudgens movie. As, as great as James Franco is, it's not even his movie. Mm-hmm. It, is an, it is not any of those movies it is a Harmony Korean movie. And, like, maybe 10% of the people that want to see this movie went with that in mind. And you posted a a really great review, and you said, you know, who is this movie made for? And I I don't know if there is an answer to that. (laughs) It was made for Harmony Korine, because he felt like like making it. And I'm totally okay with living in someone else's head, so I love it. Yeah. And... I have to say, other than the leads in a movie I know we're going to talk about real soon, I have to say James Franco is my favorite performance of the year. He's just entirely quotable. He dominates when when he's in that movie. He does kind of dominate it in a good way, where he plays this outrageous character, Alien, I think is the character's name. Yeah, and just everything he says. I mean, everyone in the theater, like people were walking out when I saw Spring Breakers, but everyone was laughing in the scene in his bedroom. Look at my shit. Look at my you know, shit. Look at my shit. <laughs> I have. I, I, I'm trying. I'm paraphrasing here, but he had like, look at all my shorts. I have every color. Or <laughs> I have Tommy Hilfiger. He's spraying on all that cologne. And you see the nunchucks and the samurai swords on that the wall. That Scarface on repeat. <laughs> yes. Which is just goes back to that '90s MTV Cribs. Ah, oh, it's just. I mean, it's like uh, filming an episode of Cribs, which actually, um. Oh, who's the rapper they're referencing? Oh, who is it? I... Uh, what, what, um, you mean for, for his character? Yes. Oh, well, a lot of people are saying Riff Raff, but there's a yeah. lot. But um, apparently the most influence was a, a South Florida rapper named Dangerous. Okay. Who's, who's actually in the movie. He's performing the song. 
with with um with James Franco at the oh nice concert scene or whatever whatever that is. There is a really outrageous, funny but unfunny video that Riff Raff put on the internet of him doing his own MTV Cribs, and I saw that before I saw Spring Breakers. Me and some friends were just watching Riff Raff videos one day because they're weird. Yeah. And we're, we're trying to decide whether he's sincere or not. It's one of those situations. <laughs> and it, when I was watching that scene in Spring Breakers, all I could think of was that YouTube video. And I, I know he, you're right. He's more based on the, on that Florida rapper. But I I think they had Riff Raff cast as that before Franco did it. Oh, really? Or, some, or something like that. And, I mean... That might make a little more sense than casting an actor to do that. But I'm very happy that James Franco ended up being it. Yes, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, lo- I love, I have a love-hate relationship with James Franco. In some movies, he's amazing, like 127 Hours, this movie. I really enjoyed him in This Is The End that came out this year. Um, yeah. But, at, and Pineapple Express, he's hilarious. But then he does a Spider-Man 3, and I just... <laughs> well, Sp- like, well, Spider-Man 3 was six years ago. I think we can... Yeah. I think he, he I, I think he's gone past his Flyboys, Annapolis... <laughs> Spider-Man three kind of days, and you know that th- that was before he started to take on some really, you know, interesting roles. You know, absolutely. And he does a lot of his own student films. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's really interesting that you brought up the whole MTV Cribs thing because, really, I think um, I, I'm totally stealing this from from uh, from a review that I read, but a lot of this movie is a lot of this film is really like a critique of 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 the spring break culture even though it could be a celebratory a, a celebration of it in some other mm-hmm. factors um but a lot of it is you know we're looking at this culture of a bunch of young kids who you know MTV told them how to behave and they're raised on YouTube clips and they're raised on th- things like MTV and stuff like that and and it, you know, a lot of people went in with this notion that it was going to be a spring break movie, but mm-hmm. it, it was really more of a, oh, we're are, we are acting this way as a measure of conformity because, you know, because the media told us to act this way on spring break. I most definitely say that, yeah, that's a good point. Let's talk about other movies that were also good. Um, because you brought it up, let's talk about uh, Before Midnight. Oh, I love this movie. Yeah, th- this this was really fantastic. It's probably my, I'd say it's probably my second favorite. My second favorite after Upstream Color. Yeah, I mean, and they're both a great, I mean, all the movies we've mentioned so far are in my top five. Um, I mean, all the movies in my top five, I think, could be number one. It's, it, it's, it's more of a close year for me. And a really strong first half of the year. A lot of the great dramas tend to come out the latter half of the year for awards season, but th- we've had a really strong first six months, and the three movies we've mentioned, especially this one, for me, have just been great. And Before Midnight, I, I re-watched Before Sunset and Before Sunrise. Same here, obviously, yeah. Right before seeing it, and it's amazing how, that, how much the movie, Before Midnight, the most recent one, references the older movies. Especially certain themes like time. I talked about. I just reposted my my retrospective essay, whatever you want to call it, yesterday. And what really fascinated me is just how 
much they reference time in these three movies the Ethan Hawke and the Julie Delpy characters of Jesse and Celine. Um, in the first movie, they're defined by getting back by sunrise. And Jesse talks about his, um, his documentary that he wants to do where we follow people for 24 hours. And Celine properly says that, that is boring. <laughs> that would suck. But it shows Jesse's sort of adventurous, almost pretentious side, which is one reason why I think we all love Jesse. And then the second one, yeah. they're again defined by getting him to the plane on time. And then he has to make a choice by the end of that movie. Um, and the, again, and the, during his book reading at the beginning of the movie, he's talking about his next book and about how that book is going to be during the time period of a pop song and how all those memories that that pop song brings. Again, time. And then this most recent one, I think, is the most literal. Even though before midnight, they don't really have that timeline that they had yeah. In the other movies, which gives them a chance to be more comfortable with one another. And they're not, it's not as romantic as the other movies. And I think it's great. I think it makes those movies that were already great better. Because well, it's it also, bring, sorry, go on. No, you're fine. Um, it brings them back down to earth because they just yeah. fight. I mean, the, yeah. someone, tweet, someone tweeted the other day, the fight scene in this movie is better than anything you'll see in any blockbuster this year. Yeah, it's, it, it's a, uh... It's a much darker movie, mm-hmm. and you know there are there are times where um, I almost says I almost says something I was going to regret just for spoiler reasons. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there are times where I, I mean you could be on certain sides, but it's not it's not quite that simple. I mean, there are times where you can be just really frustrated with these characters, and and the, and and they're imperfect people. They're, yeah. they're highly imperfect people, and. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the three, the, just the, the the multi dimensions that these characters have, are you know due in large part to you know Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, but also to, to Richard Linklater, who's yeah. honestly one of my favorite modern directors. I, I I wish if he could keep the quality up, I wish he would pull a Woody Allen and just release a movie every year. Mm-hmm. I I would just I, that would just be great. I mean. As, uh, this one, his last one, Bernie, I really like too. Yeah. Um, but but this one was just was just fantastic. Yeah. I also have a soft spot for School of Rock. I don't know why, but I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Um, with um with Before Midnight, um, I mean, I think we're avoiding spoilers in this podcast, and I'm not going to spoil what happens, even though the ending of this movie is fairly ambiguous. Yeah. Um, but. The way that they, um, how am I going to phrase this without spoiling anything? Um, the, just the way these characters interact. I mean, we've already said that they fight in this movie, and I don't really think that's a spoiler because we're not going to say what happens at the end. But I was siding with Jesse for much of the time until we started seeing the actual backstory. I was thinking, wow, Celine's being real mean to Jesse. I don't really understand. But then when we the movie does such a good job of showing you both sides of a relationship that works in some ways and not in others. I mean, it's just, it's heartbreaking. I mean, it almost makes you just tear up the entire time because you've grown to love these characters over the years. And I just recently, like in the last two or three years, I first saw all the, the first two movies of this series. And I just think the power that would have been added if I had seen them when they first came out, because you grow to love these characters for everything that they are and all of their faults. Yeah, exactly. And 
man, it's just it it, it is just truly heartbreaking um, when you know the the love of these two characters. Once again, no spoilers, but it's really tested, and I I don't know, man. It was it was it was fairly hard to watch in in some in some areas. Yes, the um I think the most genius scene in the entire trilogy is is the general levels of dress and undress that they go through during that fight because they're getting ready to have sex, but they slowly start redressing. Like, it's not instantaneous. They don't throw their clothes back on, but as the fight escalates, like, I mean, Linklater just does such a fantastic job of setting the pace of that scene where nothing is feels slow, nothing feels forced, and it just works and works until you hit that explosion. Ah, oh, great movie. <laughs> yeah, it, it is just fantastic. Um, why don't you Why don't you introduce a movie? Because I've I've done I've done it three times. And I feel, right. like I'm, feel like I'm hogging it. All right. Um, I'll I'll work on the next three. We'll do Francis Ha. How about that? That's my number three. Fan, movie fantastic. Year. It was fantastic. I've been reading some reviews, and it seems like a lot of people are fairly annoyed with the characters and. I don't know if that's just a type of person. Maybe I'm that kind of character in my life, <laughs> but I just completely love uh, Greta Gertwig's character, Frances. She's just so. Oh my god, she was absolutely. She, she was just. You you love her the entire time, even though like, like Celine and Jesse, she is a very imperfect person, and she makes. Oh yeah. She makes some just flat out dumb decisions. I mean, going to Paris for a weekend for. <laughs> No, no. Re- I mean, I mean, I've never done that, but I can think of people who who have done something stupid, just being generally being irresponsible with money. Yeah. Yes, she is. I mean, her character is incredibly irresponsible. Yet they have all those times where she starts speaking truth, like that really fantastic and terribly awkward dinner scene where she's talking to the uh, couple who just had their first baby. Yeah. Um, as someone who knows people who've recently had children. It truly does dominate your life, and it's a different form of selfishness. It's a different form of talking about yourself. That, oh man, <laughs> again another great movie. The cinema, I love the black and white cinematography. The oh yeah, yeah, it just looks fantastic. Easily my favorite soundtrack of the year with the um, Bowie and the um, McCartney and the uh, Hot Chocolate and all the um, the string references to old Francois Truffaut movies um, the, during the French New Wave. And the movie yeah. really references those French New Wave, um, one in being black and white, and one of my favorite French New actually one of the one of my favorite French New Wave movies I've ever seen is The Four Hundred Blows, came out in like nineteen fifty nine, and the score they use direct references to that score. I think they just play the tracks, and it works perfectly in this black and white movie, which also features a character who in those movies you you have the character who's out of place, he can't fit in. And Frances cannot fit in in any of these places that she lives throughout the movie because she's constantly moving. It's kind of the, the the hook of the movie is that she keeps moving from place to place, and you get to meet all these different people. Her best friend, some someone she almost oh, trying to sleep with her, played by Adam from Girls. He's one of my yeah yeah I've noticed that. I think my favorite reference in the whole movie has to be Gremlins three though because I really wish they would make a Gremlins three. <laughs> One of the themes in this movie is, as you grow up, you really have to sacrifice part of yourself to live and to move on. 
and and possibly what you had in mind for your life is not necessarily what's going to happen. In fact, it's it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I th- and, and I think the title is actually a really fun, really cute, and really moving reference to that. The title of Francis Ha, because you have no clue what the Ha means yeah. until quite literally the last shot. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those movies that is amazingly cute, and it never bothered me. Because sometimes that sort of adorableness kind of can sort of roll my eyes, but I was not rolling my eyes to this movie. I was just kind of impressed. I think my favorite shot of the movie, other than the last shot that you referenced, was her dancing across the crosswalk to, um, I believe it was the David Bowie song. Uh, yeah, the modern love song. That's just such a a moment where it's kind of a tumultuous part of the story, but she still kind of has that hope. I mean, she never really. I mean, she loses the hope at times, and during the movie, she she slowly becomes more realistic while still maintaining yeah. the positivity. And what I think the best part of this movie is that you never see her move from place to place. You merely see chapters, the most important part of her life as she lives in these different places, the dorm at the end um, with her best friend, with her two uh, male roommates and one may or may not be a romantic interest. I mean, I'm glad it doesn't really cement that for us as well, but we don't get all those like long dragged out. Oh, this is how I moved from here to here scenes. We just have those title cards to say where she lives now. And I think that that really helped the movie move at a clip. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's under 90 minutes and God knows more, more movies should aspire to be 80 minutes i mean i mean i i love my fair share of three hour samurai epics but i can appreciate a movie that goes under 90 minutes well i'm i'm more talking about movies like the internship which i'm guessing you didn't i'm I'm guessing you didn't see but i had to because a certain member of my family who shall remain unnamed really wanted to (laughs) and that movie was if you're going to make a bad comedy at least do us the service of making it 80 minutes that was two hours. See, people are trying to be Judd Apatow, I feel like. Oh, he makes long comedies. Well, but... Judd Apatow also shouldn't try to be Judd Apatow in, in yeah, some areas. Uh, his first two movies are, are longer for comedies, but I really enjoy his first two movies. And, and yeah. Freaks and Geeks is a, a classic. I'm glad he's producing Girls. In fact, uh, speak, speaking of uh, Before before Midnight, um, that, pretty much, that, that felt like This is 40 that, you know... A version of this is forty that doesn't make me want to gouge my eyes out. Yeah, I mean because uh, I mean the actors well, are about like forty one, forty two, aren't they? So I mean, and yeah, the characters right. as well. So it works. Oh yeah, are we done? Are we done with done with Francis Ha? Yeah. Um, side effects. Side effects. I I really wanted to see it again because I saw it early in the year, obviously when it came out. Mm-hmm. But I really liked it when I first saw it. Um, I. I'm an unabashed Steven Soderbergh lover. Um, I love how he takes cliched stories and he always takes a different spin, like even Magic Mike. I mean, that movie could have been a completely different movie, but Soderbergh found a way to make it very interesting, at least to me. Um, And I I think he did... I still haven't seen that. It's good. Channing Tatum's good. McConaughey's great in that movie. But it has a very Soderbergh feel, much like um, side effects. Side effects made me think of Contagion a bit. Um, and that contagion dealt with yeah. that sort of that sort of flu epidemic in an interesting way, almost a documentary way. And this deals with a movie that has a twist through it that we're most definitely not going to spoil. 
that was that just it felt natural to me. Um, Soderbergh did a really good job as his last theatrical movie with a great cast. I loved Jude Law in this movie and Rooney Mara. I think they do yeah. an amazing job. Um, I want to say. Has, oh, I'm sorry. Go on. Oh, you're, oh, you're fine. Uh, Jude Law has that sort of like Hitchcock hero feel. I feel like he's Jimmy Stewart in this movie, where he's flawed but he's still our hero as we go through it. And we kind of and we question moves he makes. He, also, uh, Cary Grant in well, Northwind. Well, I, I don't want to say he was my hero the whole time. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, especially as the movie went along, he went into very murky moral waters. Yes. And I, actually, my one complaint is that it works out a little too nicely for him. No, uh, that no, I agree with you. I, I think you're right. But I think that also goes back to the sort of Hitchcock and before Hitchcock, the noir mm-hmm. kind of feel. That, that that where our hero is not always a moral person. Yeah, all right, I feel you. You know, also Rooney Rooney Mara was just fantastic, and yeah, um, Channing Tatum was good as you know for the time he was on screen. Mm-hmm. No, no spoilers here. And and Catherine Zeta, I mean, she she did her part well too. I mean, the cast is just really rounded. I really enjoyed the work that they all did. Because Soderbergh always gets a really good performance out of an ensemble, and um, I'm this whole retirement thing. I think we can all agree it's kind of a, it's a sham. He's coming back. I don't buy it. I don't buy it for a single <laughs> second. I view it as a hiatus or a break, which I'm okay with. Yeah. Because, yeah, most likely. I mean, he, he makes two movies a year. Um, he's probably a little burnt out himself. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. All right. Um, do we get? Do we got one more? Um, let's talk about, you want to talk about The Place Beyond the Pines? Yeah, yeah. Because I think we, I think we differ on this one a bit, so this one might lead to a great A little bit, a little bit. I, I realize how flawed it is, however, I, I still loved it, and I still found it to be, um, I, I was, I was pretty moved by the end of it, honestly, and I, um, well, once again, it's been a, been a little while since I've seen it. I've seen so many movies since. I liked that it was essentially three movies in one, and I thought that that part of the movie was done very well. It's just, I think my, I like the movie, obviously. I, I'd give it an eight. I'd give it a positive review. Um, I don't think I ended up reviewing it for the blog, but um, I could have, and I would have given it a positive review. I was expecting something else, and I think that's actually probably my fault. I, I can say, though, I definitively believe that section one of that movie is great, section two of that movie is good, and section three of that movie is solid but sloppy. Yeah, that's probably where most – section three is where most – I'm willing to admit is where most of the flaws um, shine through, although I, I, still, I still ended up enjoying the, the, the third half. Um, mm-hmm. And I – I don't know. I'm something. Maybe it was the Boney Bear song. I don't fucking know. <laughs> that was a great use of a Boney Bear song. It reminded me of the uh, the way he used all the Grizzly Bear songs in um in uh, Blue uh, Valentine. Blue Valentine, which is actually a movie you like way more than I do. Yes, I love Blue Valentine. And are are you are you iffy or do you just not like it? I'm iffy. Um, I I wouldn't give it. I wouldn't give it a negative review. You know, I would. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm just I'm just a little mixed on it. I'm. I don't. I mean, you can say the same thing about the place beyond the pines, but I, 
I, I guess at the end of at the end of it, I just never really cared about the the characters, and yeah, those are really the only two characters in the movie. And you can say the same about Place Beyond the Pines. There's really like three or four characters in the movie. Well, not not entirely true. The there's one character that's in the movie throughout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's yeah. just say that. Um, and I I think most people expected it to be a Ryan Gosling movie. Yes, and he is the best part and dominates that movie unfairly to poor Bradley Cooper, who does a good job. But but uh, by the time we're focusing on Bradley Cooper in that movie, I think most people are like, but I want to be focusing on Ryan Gosling right now. (laughs) Yeah, maybe just because he's a beautiful man. I don't know. I love how I I love how crummy they made these insanely attractive men look. Yes, that's like, true. like it, it, it was, it was to the point of comedy at a couple points. I mean, I mean, I, I this, it didn't take away from the movie for me because I, I just don't focus on these things. But yeah. like, the pajama pants that fucking <laughs> um, Ryan Gosling was wearing, the crummy tattoo that was supposed to look like a tear or something. Did you and, hear that he wanted to get rid of that tattoo? Um, and the the director. Sign France was just like no because you're regretting that the decision to get that. Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't a real tattoo, but the decision to put that on your character, and your character is that type of person that makes that does a lot of things that he will regret. So actually, you can add that to your performance, oh, and I think. Oh, I see. And, and I actually think that was the right choice. Um, I will say that this movie features the best first uh, shot because that long shot of following Ryan Gosling. Throughout the carnival and then into the into the uh, motorcycle, it's just there's not one cut in that, and it's amazing. It just blows my mind how they actually successfully pull that off. I agree with you, and um, I mean, if the first shot in Spring Breakers was a girl's tits being doused with <laughs> with beer, that shows up around thirty seconds. But if that was the first shot, I disagree with you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> the um. I think the last third doesn't work as well for me is partially because the actors playing, I question the actors who played the kids in that movie. I'll say, I'll say that. I think the kids. Yeah. And, um, and one of the kids is, well, this isn't a spoiler. They played their kids because I need to say that to reference what I'm going to say. Gosling's kid I didn't really question that much. I actually liked him. He's the out, yeah. he's the outcast character. He's ugly for having such beautiful parents, but that's okay. okay. And, um, and but but he did a good job. I felt for him. He was one of these. Other than I felt for the Cooper's character, I felt for Gosling's character, and I felt for that kid. It's but, the other. It's the other kid that. Why does he sound like he's in the Jersey Shore? Yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm perfectly willing to admit he made he gave quite easily the weakest performance in the movie. And when he's crying, he just, like, I don't feel bad for him. And I love to feel bad for flawed characters. I, I have this weird, like, thing inside of my body that's like, I need to feel bad for this character who's making terrible choices. But that character, I'm like, oh, just my fuck God. fuck you. Fuck you. I... Now, at the, the very end of this movie, there's a scene that is kind of ambiguous. And you find out what happens. And you know what I'm talking about, probably, involving the two kids and how they start clashing. And I thought that the director made a very ballsy move, and I thought he was going to um, go in a quite dark ending for this movie. And I was like, oh, my God, this is really depressing. I don't like this dark, depressing ending. And then we sort of get the um, like the last shot of a Western moment with Gosling's kid. 
It was a, I don't know. It, it was a good movie. I probably need to watch it again. I probably would appreciate it more. I might, I might figure out more of the flaws if I watch it again, but, you know, I am planning on watching it again uh, yeah. next time I can. But, yeah, I, it, it, you know, I, it's, it's a very flawed movie, but I, I gotta say it moved me, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've actually heard some criticisms that, you know, this is a fairly long movie, it's two and a half hours, but uh, I've heard some critics say it's not long enough for the ambition that it has. Yeah. Like it, it would work better as probably like a, a four-hour miniseries, and I, I would, I would have loved to see that. I think that it could have been fleshed out a little bit more. But as the movie we got, I, I, I wasn't disappointed, honestly. Yeah, it, it was good. It was good. Um, how about we quickly name off other movies that were on our lists, but you know, don't go in too deep on them. All right, sounds great. Um, my number one was Before Midnight. My number two was a movie we did not talk about, like Someone in Love, Abbas Kiarostami's latest movie. He's an Iranian director. He made this in Japan with a Japanese crew and Japanese actors, and it is just amazing. I mean, I, I posted a review on the older blog we had it. I might repost it on speakers and screens because I think this this movie is kind of forgotten. It's not going to make a huge dent into the cinematic canon i don't think but i really think it's just a powerful movie with some great performances very quiet movie um, i want to i want to watch it even i want to watch it even though i have no clue who the director is i mean he, i mean he, I, um just just because just based on your recommendation he um he did 90s he did a 90s documentary called close up 1990 i believe it's on the criterion collection that's how i saw it and it's it's a documentary about a person who is pretending to be a movie star or a movie director who wanted to make a documentary about a family so Kiristami's making a documentary about that person, and then he turns it into the apology. Like, he turns it into a fictional movie with all of the people playing the characters based on themselves. It's fascinating. It's really a, a great movie, close up. Alrighty. And, and then, and then um, in uh, 2010, about he did a Certified Copy with uh, Juliette Binoche. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that, that movie. Uh, like Someone to Love is similar to that. So maybe you want to watch that one. It's probably on streaming of some sort. Um, yeah. Easy to watch. It, yeah, and if you it. like it, you'll probably like Like Someone in Love. Alrighty. Um, I, uh, Francis Ha was my number three of the year so far. Upstream Color 4, Spring Breakers 5, Side Effects 6. Uh, Terrence Malick's To the Wonder. I've already talked about it. I loved it, um, but not as much as I love the rest of his work. I mean, I, I hold him up there as like one of the top five American filmmakers yeah. of all time. to me, But... I have, um, to that, the I, wonder is a light a, a light effort by him. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I have Badlands on my computer and I'm planning on watching it soon, hopefully. M- most people hold his first two movies as his best because they have coherent plots, but they still have <laughs> that sort of Malick view of the world. That movie is a lot like Bonnie and Clyde, that sort of like rebels on the run, and Martin Sheen's playing this this James Dean character. Who yeah. is just—he's just great now. He's a freaking firecracker in that movie. I really enjoy Badlands and, and Days of Heaven with Richard Gere is also fantastic. Some of the best cinematography I've ever seen. All right. Yeah. This is the end. I really enjoyed. Uh, hilarious. Really great. Yeah. Um, really loved it. My my surprise favorite character of that movie is Craig Robinson playing Craig Robinson. Um, <laughs> he's a sort of like more. He's almost a moral compass, even more than Jay Burchell. For, for everyone and you're like in that moment in that in the, his big moment at the end of that movie uh craig robinson's is just like 
I was just going, hell yeah. Craig Robinson. <laughs> um, that movie's been compared to one of my favorite cult horror movies is Gremlins. I referenced that earlier at the Francis Ha. And it reminded me of that sort of comedy mixing with horror. And also Attack the Block it came out a couple of years ago, a British movie that had that yeah. same sort of yeah. comedy horror mix that I enjoy more than pure horror movies, I think. Yeah. And then, um, and we'll talk about Iron Man 3 and Star Trek in a minute. My list, of my, my full list, I this is just movies I've, I, I can say that I've loved so far. Uh, Upstream Color 1, Before Midnight 2, Spring Breakers 3, Francis Ha 4, Side Effects 5, Place Beyond the Pines 6, um, Mud 7. Um, I need to see that. I do. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it is really great. I, I do want to watch. I, I want to watch it again. I feel like I, I feel like when I watch it again, I'll actually like it more. Because um, because because McConaughey great. McConaughey is great, but I, I I gotta say the the best part of the movie is uh, the lead the lead kid. It's really more about him than it is about Mud. Believe it or not. Nice. Um, is that but, one of the kids from Tree of Life? I think so, actually. Okay. But yeah, um, seven is mud. Eight is um, uh, this is the end, which you know, which I loved. It's probably is it the highest comedy I have here? Yeah, it is. I think. Yeah. I don't, I don't think any, any any of these are comedies. Um, I laughed during Spring Breakers, but <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not. I wouldn't call it a comedy. But yeah, not at all. This is the end. Um, next, uh, Evil Dead, which is a movie that I. You know, when you say blanket statement, you know, how'd you feel about a remake of The Evil Dead? I, I, I'd say fuck you. But uh, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and and the director Freddy Alvarez have just guided this into really being both its own thing, but also just even even just standing alone, it's it's a fantastic horror movie, and there are there are plans to take this and sort of merge it with Ash's storyline, believe it or not. I, I, I'm an Evil Dead fanatic, if you don't, if any of y'all don't know. And, uh, I don't know, I'm just excited to, as to where this is going to go, and I thought this was a great, great horror movie. Um, next is a, a Trance, the new uh, Danny Boyle. I actually wasn't even planning mm. on seeing it, because I, I, I just wasn't interested, but I I actually thought, uh, I ended up seeing it, and I thought it was a lot of fun. Um I, I I wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of like Slumdog Millionaire or mm. or even 127 Hours. Yeah, James Franco was great, but I don't know. I I, eh, I I don't know. It's been three years since I've seen it, so I don't recall a whole lot of it. Yeah. But but Trance Trance is a very fun movie. Really over really overlooked. I'm kind of surprised by how you really really under this movie really underperformed and. It's really underrated as far as as far as I think, and I I hope more people more more people check it out when it comes on DVD, um uh, and then Star Trek Into Darkness I think I like this more than a lot of people did, um mm-hmm. but, but I really I really did like it I actually saw it twice believe it or not, nice. <laughs> um and Benedict Cumberbatch I mean I mean oh, what, yeah. what, what what more can I say, and then uh, last is surprisingly enough the Crudes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, you know, I don't like a whole lot of DreamWorks movies, but my my brother wanted to see this, and I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was genuinely funny, and I genuinely cared for a lot of the characters, and 
Nicholas Cage gives a surprisingly great vo- voice performance. I mean, the best thing about Nicholas Cage is his voice most of the time. Um, yeah. And yeah, and he was great. And I, th- I, th- I thought the movie was great. Yeah, probably the best kids movie I'm gonna see this year, especially considering Monsters University was kind of disappointing. Pixar's kind of kind of having a lull since Toy Story. Uh, I I don't know, man. I mean, I I like Brave well enough, but yeah, you know, I mean, I, it's I, okay, it's good. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I I don't love it. It doesn't have, yeah. I I don't know. And but just Cars two. <laughs> I didn't bother that shit. <laughs> fuck that shit. And did not bother. You you, you haven't even seen it. <laughs> no, I, um... I I saw it only because it was Pixar, and I feel like I I there isn't going to be a Pixar movie I'm not going to see, but. Luckily, Planes is not a Pixar movie, so I don't have the obligation to see it. It's strange how Disney had the best computer animated movie of last year, regardless of what the Academy of uh, Motion Picture and Sciences think. Oh, uh, Wreck-It Ralph. Ralph. You've seen, <laughs> you, you, you finally saw that? I know you didn't yes, see it in theaters, was, right? It was great. It was great. I didn't get to see it in theaters, but I rented it the first day it was out on Blu-ray, yeah. and it was fantastic. Um, I think that and Paranorman were easily the best two animated movies of last year. Oh I my, liked Ariadne. Oh my God, I, lo- I, I love both of those. Yeah, yeah, Ariadne was Ariadne was really good, but not but yeah, not to the level of both of those. Both of those were the, those were. I can, I can enjoy a good animated films. movie, and the, those qualify. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, well, so we're now we're going to talk about this article that um, do you want to talk about the article? Where we're that yeah. You, mentioned okay there's this there's these reports and an article that i just brought up about steven spielberg and george lucas about how they're predicting a kind of implosion quote of the movie industry because of apparently how many big big budgeted movies like 200 200 million dollar movies are flopping now i kind of doubt the validity of this because the only thing the only film that is cited that you know made a lot of money but flopped is John Carter, mm-hmm. and you know I think I think there's I think there's a number of reasons why people didn't see John Carter. Um, for one thing, it was called John Carter. Yeah, my dad's a huge fan of those books, and he wants to punch. Uh, uh, who directed that? It was um, the Andrew Adamson, the same guy that directed um, Finding it was Nemo last... and, and Wally. Yes. My dad wants to punch that guy in the face. I think he's obviously a great director, John Lasseter. Um, he produced but it. He direct, John Lasseter directed it, I thought. Really? No, no. I think it was Andrew Adamson. Oh, Adder- Andrew Adamson. Okay. Here, um, I'll, I'll look it up right now. He probably did produce it. But whoever it was, my dad was so offended. Well, he liked the movie, <laughs> but he just... My, I mean, my dad probably could have produced it more because he loves Edgar Rice Burroughs books. Oh, I'm um, not Andrew Adamson. Andrew Stanton. Thank you. Yes, you're absolutely right. That was it, Andrew Stanton. Yeah. And I think Andrew Stanton's obviously a great director, but I, I think Disney screwed that movie, especially with the as you re- referenced the title change. <laughs> That's a terrible idea. Um, did you know that they, they didn't cite it, but they could have cited um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. You know, five Academy Award nominations, and that movie lost quite a bit of money. It did. The David Fincher, yeah. Hold on. Um, 
I'm gonna look that up because I didn't actually didn't know how much money it actually lost. Um, uh, well, Wikipedia says 90 million budget box office. I guess this is worldwide 232 million. For 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 a dragon tattoo. Yeah. Um, what I was hearing it was that they ended up spending like 200 after advertising. Like they they, they didn't include that in the budget and there. See, it's not just making your budget back. This kind of goes with the article we're referencing. It's about making like over a hundred percent on top of the what you spent on it, because that's just the way that we view our economics these days. I think. Yeah, I see. But I love that movie. It, I'm okay. I'm okay with that one being a cult classic personally. It um, probably didn't need to. Probably did not need to cost that much though. Yeah, um, Spielberg told an audience last Wednesday night at the opening of a new building at the USC School of Cinematic Arts. That's the big danger, and there's eventually going to be an implosion or a big meltdown. It's talking about escalating film budgets and and uh, rising ticket prices. World and, War Z uh, cost $400 million after advertising and reshoots. $400 million after advertising and reshoots? Yep. Holy shit. They're probably going to make that back. They had a really good opening day. And that, that took seventy one percent of the man's that and Monsters University took seventy one percent. Yeah, but uh, I, I don't think they should have. I don't think they should have opened the same day as Monsters University, though. I mean, yeah, the, you can do the whole oh, it's the alternative strategy, but uh, I yeah uh, 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 I don't know. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a little bit of a lull coming up. I don't know why they just didn't put it in the beginning of July. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, next week is the heat. Yeah, they could have competed against the Heat easy. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the director of the Heat. Didn't he do Bridesmaids? He did Bridesmaids, yeah. Uh, I love Bridesmaids. I love Bridesmaids. I, I, love, I, love, I love Melissa McCarthy so much, and it saddens me to see just how Hollywood is mistreating her. Yeah. Did you see that review where the guy called her a hippo? Oh, yeah. Fuck that dude. Yeah, that guy is a dick, and she replied to it with grace. But uh, yeah. uh, back back on topic, we'll probably edit that out. Um, the I would be okay with the blockbusters sort of slowing down a bit. I mean, I, I yeah. know the industry. I know the industry like relies on that. Like when Harry Potter ended, and when the Dark Knight trilogy ended, they had to find new ways to make money, but now they have Marvel. Now they're going to be rebooting Star Wars, or not rebooting, doing sequels to Star Wars, and they're yeah. going to find other ways to make money. It, it's not an issue. The issue is going to be is whenever people get a little tired of it. And they, um, I've been watching um, for my own personal just entertainment uh, American movies that came out around 1967 to like 1979 and that's like new the new hollywood era with scorsese and coppola and all their like classics where they were like taking inspiration from european art house movies because the big huge productions that hollywood was making was starting to lose a bunch of money so they kind of had uh, they kind of burst their own bubble kind of like the, what spielberg and um lucas are referencing now which I find slightly ironic because the reason New Hollywood ended was because of Jaws and Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I said this before. I don't, I don't really buy that that um, George Lucas gives a shit about smaller movies. I mean, yeah. it, basically, the gist of what they're saying is because of how much these big movies are costing and how 
comparatively little they're bringing in, you know, there won't be so much of a chance to get to to get smaller movies made. And I think that's yeah. that's a I think that's a very real issue. I just don't buy yeah. it coming out of that, you know, coming out of that guy's mouth. If people get tired of the blockbusters, something else will come. Like, like with New Hollywood, it'll be a new movement, something else that people really latch on to. I mean, it, it, and it might not even be film. It might be television. We're in a golden age of TV right now. Um, it might be yeah. video games. It might be people going back and reading, you know, every once in a while. But, yeah. I mean, with Soderbergh's going to television, a lot of the big filmmakers like uh, Fincher did how, helped executive he did house, house of cards, of cards. Yeah. and um ang lee was going to do something then he backed out but there was a big chance he would have um yeah soderbergh with um behind the candelabra which i really want to see yeah um uh i think we're gonna see a lot of the talent i mean they already have matthew weiner or weiner however you say it um vince gilligan i mean with mad men and then um uh breaking bad it was two of the most acclaimed shows i mean those shows get more acclaimed than most movies yeah, I mean, I mean, what has more acclaim, Mad Men or Argo? I think it's Mad Men, um, <laughs> or or Breaking Bad, or um, what else was big last year? Uh, Life of Pi. I mean, most people are going to say Breaking Bad, and Mad Men at this point. If yeah. we're going the award winners, the best of the best that we have to offer, even yeah. though obviously award winners are not always the best. Also, the just the big blockbusters aren't. Um, they're not grabbing anyone i mean i'm of the opinion that at least this year uh a lot of the big blockbusters have been sort of disappointing like uh iron man 3 you know better than iron man 2 but that's not saying iron man 2 was the worst written superhero movie i've ever watched it was really i i hated that they solved his heart issue with a montage that was so lazy like they could have been playing Team America, the montage song from that puppet uh, movie. Oh, America! And, and, oh, montage. I'm singing oh, oh, it to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and it would have actually probably been better, but that's besides the point. Um, yeah, number, th- I real, I enjoyed Iron Man three because Robert Downey Jr. Iron, uh, Robert Downey Jr. was on his A game, and I enjoy watching. He's the best part of the Avengers, in my opinion. Iron Man 1 is an incredibly entertaining blockbuster. Um, I mean, that's the example of the of the kind of thing that a lot of these blockbusters that are coming out this year should be. Yeah. You know, I mean... You see, you see the issue is that, I mean, you and I have discussed this. I, I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan, and, and you and I have had debates on uh, The Dark Knight Rises, Rises. Yeah. And, and, the, and the Avengers and which one's better and whatnot. Um, but, well, even, well, even the Dark Knight Rises felt bigger and more important than Iron Man three. Oh no, I agree, and but it does have a lot of dissenters, and probably, I mean, and for good reason. The movie is flawed, and you can probably put part, even though Christopher Nolan's easily my favorite blockbuster filmmaker working today. Oh, oh yeah, probably, no doubt. You could probably lay some. I mean, and J- Joss Whedon's close, but I, I still have Christopher Nolan in my oh, yeah. in my personal. But. Um, you could probably blame some of these, like Star Trek. So some of the issues with Star Trek, you could probably blame Christopher Nolan and his influence to try to make it a little too self-serious. Where Star Trek One was more fun, and Star Trek Two was more serious. But I felt like I, I see my issue with the movies. I really wanted it to be more fun. I want, even though Simon Pegg was still there, to make me like 
laugh. I mean, I, I guess I didn't feel a lot of the serious shit. I mean, um, I, underst- I understand there was a lot of seriousness with um, um, Khan. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's been out for a month. I can, I can call it for what it is. <laughs> um, yeah. But <laughs> that, I don't know. That was a sham, by the way. <laughs> the whole hiding that fact. That's just... oh, 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 yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Every Everyone knew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know, a lot of people are a lot of people are throwing around this that this movie suggests with the whole nine eleven was an inside job thing. Like a lot of people are suggesting that, yeah. and I, I'm just not I'm not buying it. You know, I people had people were also suggesting that Nolan was anti Occupy Wall Street, and they were suggesting that like the first Star Trek was how Bush beat Gore because the cowboy beats the intellectual, and it was. People like to, to to project themselves. I think a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. And um, I don't know. I had I with, with that Star Trek movie. I had I had just about as much fun, if not more so, than the first one. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm not alone. It's 87 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. You know. Is it the is it, it's the best reviewed um, blockbuster of the year yet? Because Man of Steel flopped with critics. Yeah, and uh, I was actually going to get to that. Um, I love half of the Man of Steel. I think um, once General Zod gets in the picture with that movie, it becomes a bunch of it becomes a bunch of carnage that doesn't need to be there, and just prolonged fight scenes that just oh my god! I mean. Uh, so, so, uh, someone said that the fight scene in the terrible third Matrix movie was a better Superman fight. Oh, ooh. <laughs> that's, ooh. That, and that just reminded me of Dragon Ball Z. Personally. That stings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, the Matrix one? Yes. I, I still haven't seen the second or third Matrix movies, and I'm not planning on it. I like the first one. The second one is not as terrible as people say, and the third one is pretty bad. <laughs> They're most terrible. Well, um, well, well, I will never know. Yes, it's probably for the best. Yeah. But um, with um, it makes me sad that my, I mean, a lot of people are citing Michael Shannon as a as a as a weak spot as Zod, and that makes me sad because he's he's like that Benedict Cumberbatch level great yeah. character actor usually. Like uh, yeah. we, you said, Mud earlier. Well, uh, the the director did that also did Take Shelter, and that's just his Michael Shannon. That movie just blows my mind how good he is. Yeah, yeah. I I, I mean Michael Shannon, you know. Easily one of the best actors working today, and yeah. I, I I think those people saying that he's the weak link weak link are absolutely wrong. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, he he doesn't blow me away as General Zod, but he's definitely good as General Zod. What what the problem with the movie is what happens when mm-hmm. what happens when Zod gets there, not oh. that Zod is there. It's it, it it's the point where it turns into a Zack Snyder movie. And for the longest time, it so was not a Zack Snyder movie. It, I mean, there's a scene early on between, uh, I mean, even a lot of the stuff on Krypton, which is you know very stylized, still uh, felt grounded and it felt real and it felt I don't know what to say about it, but it was no any. Yeah, yeah, in a way, even though even though it was more fantastical. Yeah. You know. And even on Earth, I mean, there's all the scenes with the younger. I, I mean, they do the whole backstory way. The, the, they do the whole backstory of Clark Kent in a really interesting way. 
um, where it, it, it's almost like a, a series of flashbacks and flash forwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll understand when you see the movie. I'm assuming you're, yeah. you're gonna. I'm assuming you're gonna see it eventually. No, I will. I uh, hope to see it in theaters at some point. It just It's always a money issue, seeing so many great movies. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm really irresponsible with money, so <laughs> I don't have a problem. <laughs> uh, yeah, Man of Steel, I mean, by the end of it, it really kind of let me down. I mean, it, it, it's just constant, constant, constant uh, fight scenes. It, it, it's one of the loudest movies I've ever seen. Is the score any good? Because I love Hans Zimmer. It's like the average Hans Zimmer score. It, it doesn't oh. really, you know, it doesn't sway me one way or another. But you know, it's not, it's not horrible. It didn't, yeah. uh, you know, you know. I th- I actually thought the score for Dark Knight Rises was a little distracting with the whole. Always, the Inception is like one of my top five favorite. Though, that Inception score. The that Inception score is fan fucking tastic. And and you know and you know what's the magic? It's fairy dust on that Johnny Marr and guitar. I think oh my god, absolutely. <laughs> that 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 might be my favorite orchestral score ever. Oh, I love Yeah, the, the the last 5 minutes of that movie and the way the music works with Inception is so great. <laughs> I love that's the my favorite part of any movie that year. God, I need to I need to watch that movie again. But we are going a little bit long with this one. Yes. So Kyle's going to kill us. Yeah, yeah, because I'm probably going to make him edit this again. <laughs> and don't edit that out, Kyle. All right, I guess if you say so, I'll leave it in, whatever. <laughs> All right, well. See, this is what happens whenever the parents leave. Whenever the, 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 whenever the parents leave, the kids throw a party, and that's what we did. Oh, yeah. Um, so do you think this is a good, do you think this is a good place to, to stop and get, just get going? I think it is. I think we did a good job. Yeah, well, I think we did good. I think we can do do uh, this again where we follow up and talk about other movies that have come out. Absolutely. Yeah, we can almost make it a monthly movie podcast thingajing. Works for me. All right. Well, everyone, thank you very much for listening. If you have continued listening thus far, um, and we will see you soon. We are hoping to record um, a full podcast tomorrow, so hopefully that will happen. But this one is being recorded now, obviously, and will be up sooner, probably. So thank you very much, uh, TJ. Why don't you go tell him goodbye? Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. It's loud.
I'm really sorry I added myself into the podcast, you guys. I'll try not to do it again. Yeah, I'm not sorry at all.